Thanks for checking out this week's podcast from Center Street Church. We pray it blesses, encourages, and inspires you. Jesus was born in Bethlehem to Virgin Mother Mary. After King Herod orders the massacre of all males under the age of two, his family flees to Egypt, but then settles in Nazareth. His ministry starts with his baptism by John the Baptist as a 30-year-old. For three years, Jesus travels the countryside with his disciples, speaking in stories, healing the sick, casting out demons, and performing miracles. After the death of John the Baptist, Jesus starts his final journey to Jerusalem, where, as he predicted, he will be killed. One of his disciples makes a deal with the Pharisees to betray him for 30 pieces of silver. So after a final meal with his disciples, he is betrayed, arrested, tried, and crucified. Three days after his burial, he is resurrected and appears to many over a 40-day period, after which he ascends to heaven. His final words still shape us today. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Well, good morning, everyone. I'm so glad you're here with us in this worship service. I want to welcome those of you worshiping with us online as well. Well, this weekend, we come to the final sermon in our summer series that has been titled Living in God's Story. And from early in the summer, we began looking at different individuals within Scripture. We looked at Abraham. We started there. We went to Joseph and then Moses and Rahab and Samuel and David and last week, Adam. And what we saw is in each person's life, God was at work drawing them into a deeper relationship with himself. And God interrupted these, these individuals' stories. He, he interrupted their life. He woke them up from the life that they had in mind that they were going to live. And God then spoke a purpose into their life. He spoke mission into their life. He spoke destiny into their lives. And in this way, each of these characters that we've looked at found themselves living in God's story. Their lives became intertwined and woven into the fabric of God's grand story of what he wanted to accomplish in them as individuals and through them to influence the world in which they lived. One of the greatest dangers that we face today is the failure to see our lives as part of God's story. A failure to see ourselves living in God's kingdom as a part of his grand story. We have a difficult time sometimes imagining anything more grand to our life than what we currently are experiencing now. The days we spend at work, the weekends, and what we do on them, a few vacation days mixed in there. The life that we live with our friends and co-workers and family and extended family and friends we have a hard time imagining anything more grand than what we're currently living in, and we ask ourselves sometimes, is this, is this all that there is to life? We can get caught up in our own kingdoms, our own plans, our own desires, our own pursuits, our own priorities, our own values, or we get caught up in the predominant culture of the world that we live in, and its values, and its priorities, and its things that are celebrated everywhere. The kingdom of this world we can get caught up in, and we we grow blind to the fact that we are being invited by God himself to participate in his story, in his agenda, in his plan for our lives and this world. The challenge to us is that our stories sometimes become too small. We become so myopic and so focused on ourselves and protecting ourselves in our own kingdom and what we do when we, when we do that, we make God small. We reduce God to someone who is simply there to make us happy, provide for us, and get us into heaven when we die. But friends, God is not a small God. His story is not a small story. His mission is not a small miss mission. Jesus came to this earth and he was preaching the kingdom of God is now. God's kingdom has come to earth. Something is significantly different now than what was previously and Jesus taught us to pray your kingdom come. Your will be done on this earth as it is in heaven. 
Since the point of Jesus' preaching and throughout the rest of history, God's kingdom has been expanding. God has been changing people's hearts and minds and lives, transforming people into the most remote villages on this earth where it takes days to walk into. You will find God's kingdom expanding even there, people coming to know God. And this is the story that we are being invited into. God's story and the way that it's playing out in your life and in this world is unstoppable. It truly is, and we're being invited to live in God's story. How marvelous is that? I mean, how amazing is that? So this morning, we have the privilege to be talking about the life of Jesus. And I want to just acknowledge that Mike Breen and his writings have influenced me as I've prepared for us to have this discussion, this conversation about Jesus, because you see, the greatest revelation that we have about how to live in God's story is Jesus' life. It's to look at his life and and to see how he lived. His life is the pattern that we model our our lives after. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1, Paul says to To us, he says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. And Paul is saying the greatest thing you can do is imitate Jesus. Live your life like he did. Jesus said to his followers, come follow me. He says that to us as well. Come follow me. Elsewhere, Jesus said, learn from me, from my way of life. And in all of this, the Bible describes spiritual maturity as striving for all of us that we would all strive to become mature, attaining the whole fullness of Christ. And it's clear from Scripture that Jesus' life is a model for us to imitate. His way of life, the things that he said, the things that he did, is in Scripture for us to imitate, for us to model, for us to pattern our lives after. He's the one that we look to. He's the greatest revelation of how to live a life in God's story. And so this morning, we're going to see that Jesus' life reveals reveals three adjustments that we might need to make in our lives as we look at his life, some things that we might need to adjust in our lives in order for us to live in God's story. So just pray with me right now before we get into this. Heavenly Father, thank you for sending your son to this earth to live here. Thank you that his life is recorded in the Gospels, pages that we can read. Jesus, thank you that you lived a life perfectly in relationship with your Father. And thank you that we can look at your life and, and imitate you. And so speak to us right now. Our hearts and our minds are open before you. Speak to us. So show us things that we need to adjust in our lives so that we can live like you lived. Bring honor and glory to you and your Father. So speak to us, Jesus, by your Spirit. In your name we pray, amen. So here's where we're going this morning. We're first going to talk about that living in God's story means that we listen to the words of Jesus. Next, we're going we're to look at the ways that Jesus lived his life. And then finally, we're going to conclude with the works that Jesus did. And we're going to talk about how to practice the works of Jesus. So the words of Jesus, the ways of Jesus, the works of Jesus, that's where we're going. So to start us off here, living in God's story means that we listen to the words of Jesus. We listen to his words. Jesus told his disciples that the key to living in in God's kingdom was to let his words abide or remain in his disciples, to remain in them. Jesus says this in John chapter 15, verse 7. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be given to you. Well, what does it mean for Jesus' words to remain in us? And another word there that could be used is abide. For Jesus' words to remain in us and abide in us, it means that they find a permanent home in our consciousness, in our memory, and that Jesus' words come out in our vocabulary. Jesus' words are inside us. It means that his words begin to shape our values and our priorities and our our relationships and the way that we conduct ourselves at work or at home means that we listen to Jesus' words and we respond. Jesus felt, it was so clear, Jesus felt his words were extremely important, significantly important. He says in John chapter 14, verse 23, Jesus says, if anyone loves me, he will obey my teaching." My Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. 
He who does not love me will not obey my teaching. These words you hear me, these words you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. Jesus' words, his teaching, the things that he said were significantly important. The words he spoke were directly from God. For people in the, in the age that Jesus lived, and they're from God to us today. And what Jesus is saying here in these two passages is this. Hear my words. Listen to them. Place them in your heart. Place them in your mind. Obey them. Act on them. See them as authoritative in your life. And if you do this, if you and I do this, we'll find ourselves living in God's story. We'll find ourselves in a closer relationship with Jesus Christ. Jesus as well knew the Old Testament was God's word to humankind. Jesus often quoted the Old Testament, and most notably when Jesus was being tempted in the desert. Jesus was tempted by Satan, and he quoted the Old Testament as the authoritative truth for his life. Satan couldn't compete against that. Jesus taught in the synagogues from the Old Testament and the teachings that that his father revealed to him to teach, the parables. John chapter 1 tells us that Jesus is the living word. Jesus declared that his words were for all people, for all time, and throughout history, Christians have believed that the rest of the New Testament was God's inspired word to us. This whole book is Jesus' words to us. Jesus' words to us. And if we want to live in God's story, if we want a close relationship with God, we must listen to his words. People sometimes tell me that, they'll say, you know what, Kent, I just feel like God's distant from me. I don't hear God speak to me. I don't feel like I'm in a close relationship with God. And I wish I was. I'm trying to live my Christian life, and and I find it difficult at times to, to be obedient, and I just struggle with temptation, and I just, you know, bottom line, I wish I was closer to God. And at some point in that conversation, I'll ask them, I'll say, well, just tell me, tell me how you're doing reading the Bible and spending time in prayer. Tell me, tell me about how you're doing about coming to our worship services, attending church. And often what they'll say to me is, you know what, Ken, I don't read my Bible, and I don't come to church regularly. And then we'll continue the conversation from that point. But here's the truth. Approximately 19% of Christians read their Bibles daily. Which means 80% of people who say they're Christians don't read their Bible daily. And I'm not sure how often they would read their Bible. But 19% Christians read their Bible daily. And if you're trying to do what God wants you to do, if you're trying to live obediently, if you're trying to hear God speak to you, trying to... Have God give you guidance for your life, but you're not reading the Bible. It's like, it's like committing spiritual suicide. It's like trying to swim a distance that you know you can't swim without having a life jacket on. You're not going to make it. And in a room this size, you know, maybe it's just a few rows up here that you guys read your Bible daily and the rest of us, we don't read our Bibles daily. And we may not even read it regularly, weekly or monthly. See, there's a lot of reasons that people don't read their Bibles. But it's impossible to live in God's story without listening to the words of Jesus. A lot of people don't read their Bibles, and there's a lot of reasons for that. But one of the reasons is because I think a lot of people believe that this word is not authoritative in their life. That this book does not have authority over their life. And in fact, they feel like they have authority over it. And just imagine with me like this. I'm not going to stand on the Bible, but... But it's like some people say, I have authority over Scripture. And when they do this, they determine when they read Scripture, when they read the Bible. They determine what parts of the Bible they read. They might feel like some parts of the Bible are relevant today and other parts are not relevant today. They might feel like some parts of the Bible don't apply to their life. So folks who don't read their Bible, maybe one of the reasons is because they just pick and choose what parts they read, and they don't think it has any authority over their life. They determine when they read it. They determine how the Bible shapes their life. And, in, and in, in doing all of this, they have authority. They are in charge of the Bible, really, and what it has to say to them, what it doesn't have to say to them. Have I just described how you see Scripture? 
how you see this book. But there's another way to live, friends. Jesus himself says his words are not his own words. He speaks the words that the Father gives to him to speak. And in this way, Jesus submitted his life to his Father's words. And when we imitate Jesus and live the life that he lived, we submit ourselves to the Bible, to Jesus' words. And it looks like this. The Bible has authority over us. We can't pick and choose what we take from the Bible or not. It's Jesus' words that guide us, that teach us. We surrender ourselves to what God's word says. We don't have authority over it. We live under, under scripture. We submit to it. We read it. We listen to it, to what God says to us. And we live our lives under scripture. And we say the Bible has authority over us. That's the way that Jesus lived his life. Friends, that's the way that we live in God's story. It's impossible to live in God's story without listening to the words of Jesus. Now, I don't want to come down hard on anybody this morning. I'm not trying to lay a guilt trip on anybody here. It's tough. It's tough. It takes discipline to read the Bible daily. It is. And think of it this way. If Satan wants to disconnect you from Jesus, he will keep you from reading this book. That's what he's going to do. That's his starting point. Shouldn't be a surprise to us. But if you want to grow in listening to the words of Jesus and reading scripture, here's what I want you to do. I want you to do two things. First of all, talk with someone. Talk with a friend about how you struggle reading scripture. Talk with with the pace of your life. Talk with them about that. Talk with them about your desire to read scripture and 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 come up with a plan. You know, talk with someone so you get it out and you just, you talk about your struggle with reading scripture or, and then make a plan, do something about it. When I was in grade four, I had this grand plan. I was going to read through the whole Bible. (laughs) So I got the Bible and sat down on the couch and laid down and started reading. Genesis chapter one, verse one. Started there. I think I maybe got to chapter 10 and I put it down and I didn't pick it up again for a long time. See, folks, if you're going to start, don't make some grand plan. You're going to spend an hour in prayer and reading the Bible every day. Start with five minutes. Start with five minutes. Put it on your calendar, reading the Bible or listening to the words of Jesus. Five minutes, maybe ten minutes. Start there. Pick a spot that you know you're always going to be and just choose that spot as when you're going to listen to the words of Jesus and read and then before you, before you read the Bible, I mean, start, start in one of the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, start there. Before you read, just simply say, Jesus, I want you to speak to me right now. I want you to speak to me, and I want to read your words to me. I'm trying to do this, Jesus. I want to get into this habit. And so as I read, speak to my heart. Just reveal something to me. Speak to me because I'm listening. And then just read. Read a few verses. Don't read a whole chapter. Read one or two, three or four verses. Just reflect on them. Meditate on them. Chew on them. And then just say, Jesus, I've just listened to your words. I've just read your words. If you want to say anything to me about who you are or who I am and what I might need to change in my life, just reveal that to me now and then just spend a few moments in silence and prayer listening listening for Jesus to speak to you. And that's it. And then do it the next day. And do it the next day. Put it on your calendar. You might want to attend the class that we have in the Learning and Growth Catalog here in September about Scripture memory, how to memorize Scripture. In November, we have a class coming up about how to study your Bible. You might want to sign up for that. But listen to the words of Jesus. I want to fill you in as well. Something that we're going to be doing very soon here because of the generosity of this church, your generosity. We're going to provide 2,000 Bibles, that's $16,000 worth, 2,000 Bibles to our partner churches in Mexico. And they're going to be able to give every brand new Christian, every brand new follower of Jesus a Bible so they can listen to the words of Jesus and grow. Grow. And it's, it's because of your generosity, church, that we can do this and bless them in this way, and they're so grateful for that. That's the first thing. 
Second thing is this. If you want to listen to the words of Jesus, attend church regularly. Just attend church regularly. Sometimes I hear people say to me in the atrium, they'll say, you know what, Kent, I, I wasn't planning on coming to church this morning to our worship service, but, but I'm so glad I did. And they'll go on to describe a part of the sermon or a song or something that happened that just moved them powerfully. And they'll end off saying, I'm so glad I did. And what I hear them saying behind this is coming to a worship service on the weekend is optional for them. It's optional. Is attending one of our worship services here optional for you? If you want to listen to the words of Jesus, then put yourself where God's word is taught. Make a habit of it. Put yourself where God's word is taught and God will speak to you. You'll hear Jesus' words taught and it'll impact your life. Put yourself where Jesus' words are taught weekly. And this is a good time to, to make a habit of this. Put it on your calendar. Saturday night, Sunday morning or Sunday night, put it on your calendar with your family that that's the worship service you're going to be coming to. At one of our campuses or here. And, and just make it a habit of it. From, from your, you know, so your summer schedule, it's all mixed up. As you get into your fall schedule, just do that. Make it not optional for you to be in a place where God's word is taught. See, if you're reading the Bible regularly, if you're in a worship service where God's word is taught and your heart is right before God, God will speak to you. He will guide you. He'll show you things about who he is and you'll hear him speak to you. Living in God's story means that we listen to the words of Jesus so second, living in God's story means that we live in the ways of Jesus. What I mean by this is that Jesus had a way of living his life. He was intentional. He was strategic. He had a method. He had a pattern for the way that he lived his life. Nothing in his life happened by accident. And he lived his life as a model for us to imitate. And what I'm saying is this, that Jesus had principles of consistent ways of living his life. He did things consistently. Rhythms and habits to his life that allowed him to live as a part of God's story. See, Jesus had daily rhythms. We read in scripture at times Jesus went away early in the morning to pray and spend time with his father. And then he'd, he'd come and he'd serve people and teach people. Sometimes he would go away during the day to be in just solitude and rest and replenish himself. And then he'd go out and be with the crowds. Jesus had a weekly rhythm where he went to the synagogue and taught. And then after that, during the rest of the week, he'd go into homes and teach. Jesus had a Sabbath day that he set apart and he worked six days, the other six days. But here's where I want to focus our time now. The organizing principle of Jesus' life. The thing in Jesus' life that everything else was organized and structured and patterned around was Jesus' community. Was his spiritual family was the people that he lived with and taught with and ate with, lived life together with. That group of people was the, was the thing that everything else in his life was organized around. His community was the, was the fuel that energized the rest of his life. The priorities in his life were structured around that community of people. And here's where I just want us to look briefly at how Jesus formed this community. If you have your Bibles, go to Luke chapter 4, verse 16. The previous verses here, Jesus had just been baptized and then he was out in the desert for 40 days. He was tempted by Satan and then he came back into Galilee. And he was teaching. And word was spreading about him. He was becoming famous. And then we read in verse 16, this is where Jesus went. He went to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And on the Sabbath he went into the synagogue as was his custom. And he stood up to read. What I want you to notice here is that Jesus went to Nazareth. This was the town that he grew up in. His parents lived here. His brothers lived here. His cousins lived here. His aunts and uncles lived here. His extended family, second cousins lived here. This is just the way that it was in this village of Nazareth. And everybody knew him. This wasn't a large town. Everybody knew him here. He was in his hometown. And Jesus stood up to read in the synagogue. 
Jesus read from the prophet Isaiah. And this is what Jesus read. And if you're ever wondering what Jesus' mission statement, purpose statement was for his life, it's this right here. Jesus read from the prophet Isaiah, and he read this. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. That's what Jesus read in front of his extended family, his immediate family, and his friends. And then Jesus said this, this prophecy, this promise from Isaiah is fulfilled today. And Jesus said, this prophecy and this promise is not just for the nation of Israel, but it's for the Gentiles as well. In fact, it's for the whole world. And at this point, everybody in that synagogue became furious and angry. So much so that they grabbed Jesus out of that synagogue. They took him out. They took him to a cliff and were about to throw him over the cliff. They were about to murder him. But miraculously, somehow, Jesus just walked through the crowd and he left. Now imagine this scenario with me. Who would have been in the synagogue? Jesus' immediate family, his extended family, the people that knew him. And in this incident, we see that Jesus was disowned by the people that knew him best, his family. His family disowned him. They didn't agree with his mission. They didn't agree with what God had sent him to do. And if he would have stayed in Nazareth, he would have been seriously injured or killed. And so he left. Now, where did Jesus go and what did he do? See, previous to this incident, the Gospel of Mark tells us that Jesus had come in contact with Simon, who was renamed Peter, Simon's brother Andrew, and James and John, four guys. Jesus remembered them, and Jesus thought, well, you know what? I'm going to go see if these guys will join me. I'm going to go start a new family, an extended spiritual family, my spiritual family. And so, if you look in Luke chapter 4, verse 31, it says that Jesus went to Capernaum. And verse 38 tells us that Jesus went to stay at Peter's house. Peter invited him in. Peter's mother-in-law was sick, and Jesus heals Peter's mother-in-law. And in that compound where multiple home dwellings were, most likely Peter's parents lived there. Peter's brother lived there, or Simon's brother. Other relatives lived there. And what we see is that Jesus moved into this family and Jesus started to build a new family, a spiritual family, people that would partner with him in this mission that God had for him. Jesus started to build his sort of band of brothers that would be on mission with him. And you see what I'm saying here this morning is if we want to live in God's story, we must imitate the way that Jesus lived his life, which means if we're going to get serious about imitating the way that Jesus lived his life, You and I must find a spiritual family, a community that we're going to belong to, a group of people with whom we will pursue God, get to know God better, a group of people that will challenge one another in growing as Christ followers, discipling relationships one another, a group of people that we can serve others and be on mission together with, and to do all of this with generosity and simplicity. Your spiritual family may be your immediate family, your biological family, but it might be. It might not be that way. Your community, your spiritual family may be friends, and not your biological family. See, at Center Street here, we try and facilitate these kind of communities for folks that are a part of our church to belong to. We've got community groups. We've got youth super groups. We've got young adult groups. We've got singles groups and men's groups and women's groups, all kinds of groups. Because we believe to the core of our being, this is the way, the way that Jesus lived his life. Everything in Jesus' life was structured around this community that went with him in different places. They served together and And our culture pulls us so much into isolation and individualism to live life on our own. That's not the way that Jesus lived his life. It's plain to see that if we want to live in God's story, we must be a part of a spiritual 
community, a spiritual family, an extended family, a community group, a small group, call it whatever you want. The last Tuesday of every month, I have the privilege of meeting with people that are new to our church. Sometimes people will show up to our orientation evenings. They've maybe been here one time. Maybe they've been here a few months, but we gather together for an evening and I get to tell them about the, the, the history of our church and who we are as a church. And at, at some point during that evening, I always give this little speech. And this is what I tell them. I tell them this, don't, don't feel pressured to get involved in our church. Because these folks are wondering, can I belong to this church? Will this church be my home, my family? And I tell them, don't, don't rush into this decision. Pray about it. But here's what I want you to do. This is what I tell them. Come to church regularly. Come on the weekends and ask questions and listen and go on our website and, and read about who we are as a church and ask questions at the information center or of our pastors or ushers or greeters. Just get to know us as a church. But keep coming on the weekends. And I tell them, come to the same service all the time. And I tell them, come in the same door because most likely you'll see the same greeters there and they'll smile at you and you'll see a familiar face. And I say, come in the same door to the worship center because most likely you'll see the same ushers there all the time. And they'll have a smile on their face and you'll see a familiar face. And thank you greeters and ushers for making this place feel welcome. And then I tell them, sit in the same section. Because isn't it true we all sit at the same place in church when we're here? You know, and so I say, sit in the same section and you'll see some familiar faces there when you come. So keep coming. But do this. And then I tell them this and I get a bit more serious. I say this. But know this. If you only come on the weekends to a worship service, at some point, you're going to come and show up here and you're going to feel like, I don't know anybody here. You're going to feel like, boy, I don't know if this place could be my church home because I don't know anyone. I'm not connected here. And I say, at that point, remember what I'm telling you now. And I tell them, you're going to feel that way. Remember what I'm telling you now. It's past time that you get involved. It's past time that you join one of our serving teams, our usher team, our greeter team. We've got so many serving teams around here. And when you do that, you're going to know some people and you'll feel like this is your church family. And I tell them, if you don't want to do that, we'll join a group. I mean, we've got men's groups, singles group, women's group, community groups all over our city. We've got so many groups to try and facilitate community here in the life of our church. And I say, when you feel that way, it's past time that you do that. So then get involved. And that's what I tell everybody who's new here. And that's what I'm saying to you this morning. And it's not just to get involved, it's not just to volunteer, it's to live in the way that Jesus lived his life with a group of people around him to pursue God together, to be on mission together. This is the way that Jesus lived his life. So I want to invite a uh, couple of our community pastors to come on out here, guys. These are the guys here that lead our... Yeah, you're getting the applause right away and you haven't done anything. <clears throat> These are the guys here that lead our, our groups out in neighborhoods all across the city. And their job is to help you facilitate the kind of community, the kind of spiritual family that I've just been describing. And you'll have an opportunity to meet these guys right after this service. Go to where they're going to be. Meet them. Meet some folks from your area. And I'm not going to say any more. I'm going to hand it off to you, Wes. Take it from here. Well, thanks, Ken. Uh, I am Wes. And uh, I uh, have the joy of working with this great-looking uh, bunch of guys. Not a motley crew, just a great bunch of guys. And, uh, and thank you for the applause. You don't know what we're going to say yet. But, uh, but um, uh, we have the joy of connecting people in communities. And uh, um, we, we love to help people grow and love and serve. And so uh, we want you to come after the service and meet all of us. Uh, I oversee the uh, small groups in the community groups, sorry, in Northwest Calgary. Uh, everything from Nose Hill West and Stony Trail South, uh, um, Royal Oak, Rocky Ridge, Bears Paw, Cochrane and uh, 16th Avenue uh, North. And um, you got all the information in this little card here. I think Kent will touch on it a little bit later. Um, come to the rehearsal room if you live in Northwest Calgary. The rehearsal room is out these doors and just down this hallway, just around the corner here. And I would love to meet you and help you get connected. And if you're already in a group, come as well, and you can share all the good stuff that's happening. Good job, Wes. <laughs> <laughs>
My name is Lucas, Lucas Van Bischoten. I'm the community pastor for the area right here around the church. Highland Park, Tuxedo, Mount Pleasant, Crescent Heights, and so on. Going up north to Thorncliffe at 64th Avenue, including North Haven, and then south to Bridgeland and Sunnyside, and from eastward Deerfoot Trail with Mountain View and Winston Heights, and across over to Capitol Hill and Hillhurst. And I'm your pastor. I'd love to meet you. Oh, we're going to meet um, in the prayer chapel, up those stairs, and up on the top east edge. Mm -hmm. oh, hello, everyone. My name is Ashwin Ramani, and I'm the community pastor for East Calgary. And my area starts from southeast Calgary, around Forest Lawn, Erin Woods, and Dover, and goes all the way across to northeast Calgary to some of the most multi-ethnic neighborhoods in our city. Till, Skyview Ranch, and Redstone, and I also have Chestermere, Langdon, and Strathmore as well. So if you live in one of these communities, I would love to meet you and help you get connected, and we're going to meet in the special needs room on the second floor that's opposite to the wedding chapel, so look forward to seeing you there. Ashwin, I want to I wanna know how the baby, the new baby is doing. <laughs> <laughs> Well, baby Amos is doing great, uh, giving us some sleepless nights. He wakes up every two hours, so you can pray for us. <laughs> I'm, uh, <laughs> I'm Pastor Warren Weave, uh, and my area is what's called North Central. I'm the over-the-hills guy. So Coventry Hills, Country Hills, Panorama Hills, Harvest Hills, Evanston Hills, Sage Hill Hills. Uh, so if you live in any of those areas, just come and drop by and see me. I'm directly out the south doors on the south lawn. Come have a cookie, and I'd love to uh, meet you. Mm -hmm. And I'm Pastor Jacob. I'm the community pastor for South Calgary and downtown. And it's a blessing to oversee such a large territory. And I'd love to meet each one of you who live in this uh, area at, in the Maranatha room beside the cafe. So thank you, and God bless. Yeah, let's give these guys a hand. <laughs> See, folks, we don't want to just get people in community for the sake of being in community. We feel that the core of our being, this is the way that Jesus lived his life. And we want to follow Jesus and live our lives like he lived, and to live in God's story First of all, means we listen to the words of Jesus. We live in the ways that Jesus lived his life. And last here, I'll conclude with, living in God's story means that we practice the works of Jesus. The works of Jesus. A number of years ago, many people had t-shirts and little wristbands that had the letters on them, WWJD. Does anybody know what those letters meant? Just shout it out. What would Jesus do? Exactly. I mean, it was all over the place. I don't know where that's gone lately, but it used to be all over the place. But that was a great reminder for us to stop and ask ourselves, now, in this situation, what would Jesus do? But I want to suggest to you that a better question might be to look back at the way that Jesus lived his life and ask ourselves, what did Jesus do? What were the specific things that Jesus did, the works, the deeds of his life? What were the outcomes of his life? What were the things that Jesus did specifically? And then, why don't we do the same things that Jesus did? See, living in God's story means we practice the works of Jesus. To live in God's story means that we do this. So what are the, some of the things that Jesus did? Jesus healed the sick. I mean, he set the bar pretty high. He cast out demons. He raised the dead. He spent time in prayer. He ate with sinners. He ate with the poor. He ate with the rich. My favorite is Jesus went fishing. He did that a lot, which is just great for me. See, we model ourselves after the things that Jesus did. Jesus himself said this. I tell you, anyone who has faith in me will do the things that I've been doing. John 14, verse 12, I tell you, anyone who has faith in me will do what I have been doing. What I'm suggesting is that we identify the things that Jesus did and use those as principles that guide our 
life and the things that we do. Jesus taught people so they would believe that God was their God and and he was the son of God. Jesus walked on water. He turned water into wine. He he knew the, 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 the motivation of people's hearts and called them out. He had compassion on people and gave them food. He acted in mercy. He practiced forgiveness. This list could go on and on and on and on. The book of James makes it very clear when you read that book that the deeds of our life, the works of our life, the outcomes of our life, the things that we do reveal, they mirror, they reflect the relationship that we have with Jesus Christ. Our works matter, friends. Our works matter. Jesus set the bar pretty high. And I'm not saying that all of us in this room need to do all of the things that Jesus did. None of us will ever walk on water. None of us will ever turn water into wine. I'm not suggesting that we must do all of the things that Jesus did. But what I'm not saying is that we won't do any of the things that Jesus actually did. I want to ask you here, just reflect on your life. What are the works? What are the deeds? What are the specific things that you do? Get specific about them. And then ask yourself, are these the things that Jesus did? Are these the works that Jesus did? And if we want to live in God's story, we must practice the works of Jesus. Just a couple of days ago, our family is unhealthy at this moment. And and two days ago, I said to Nadine, I said, Nadine, you know what? We haven't done. We didn't do this. We should have gathered our whole family together and just laid hands on each other and prayed for healing for each other. Jesus would have done that, and I, it slipped my mind. That's something that Jesus would have done. See, friends, let's practice the works of Jesus. There was a week this past summer where my, my life and my family's life, we spent time in a very intense way. We listened to the words of Jesus. We practiced, we lived in the way of Jesus, and we practiced the works of Jesus We did this in one condensed week, in an intense week, and what happened was a group of us from Center Street here, about 46 or 48 of us, went to to, uh, Richmond, and we we served our partner church there on a week-long, you know, family, extended family mission trip, and we listened to the words of Jesus together. We worshiped together. We prayed together. We read the Bible together, all 46, 48 of us. As individual family units, we had our own times of prayer and reading the Bible and listening for Jesus to speak to us. We lived in the way of Jesus. We saw ourselves and we called ourselves one large extended family. My daughter, five years old, was the youngest uh, child. There was a, a gentleman who had just graduated from high school and a mix of adults in the mix. And we, we lived together. Most of Most of the group stayed in a a church there, and we ate together, we played together, we swam together. There was only one shower in the building, and so we went to this outdoor pool to just get clean and not stink up the whole place. But we were an extended family together. My kids had new aunts and uncles during that trip. And we, we practiced the works of Jesus. We had the privilege of serving homeless folks and serving people in a park and serving kids, and we, we did what Jesus did that week, all in one week. And I want to tell you a story that just brings everything together, what I've been speaking about this morning, about living in God's story. One day, we were at a downtown park, and we served 950 hamburgers to homeless people and others who were in the park. And it was a hot day, and, and so we ran out of hamburgers and Few people had, you know, two burgers, but but we were done and we packed up everything and we were gonna head back to the, the to the church that we were staying in. And and my car, our family's car was across the, the street, and I'm a bit impatient sometimes, and I saw a break in the traffic and I said, Family, let's go now. And I said, Hurry up, we can cross the street right here, and we didn't have to go to the crosswalk, which we should have done, right? To go across there. And but my family wasn't together, and so we missed the break in the traffic, and I looked down the traffic, and there wasn't a break for a long time. We weren't going to cross here. And as I, as I reflect on this story, what happened, I knew Jesus meant for us to walk up the street and go to the crosswalk. So we, we started up the crosswalk, 
to go to the crosswalk on the corner and cross there. And, and we ran into a young man. He had a cane. Something was wrong with his legs. He wasn't walking properly, and he was sweating profusely. He had a backpack on, no shirt on, and he said, are there any burgers left? I've, I've been told there were some burgers here. Is any hamburgers left? And I, I said, no, I don't think there's any burgers left. We ran out of them. Then I yelled back to one of our team. I said, do we have any hamburgers left? And they said, no, we don't. And I said to this young man, I said, we don't have any hamburgers left. And he said, I've been walking all the way from Victory Square and it took a lot of effort for him to walk. And I said, we don't have any burgers left. I'm sorry. And, and he said, you know what? This is just my luck. Nothing good ever happens to me. And so he turned around and started walking away. And, uh, and as a family, we were thinking, well, should we buy him some food? And my son, Micah, started running after him. Micah's seven years old. And he was yelling out to him, we're going to buy you lunch. We'll buy you lunch. And this young man turned around to Micah and, and to us and said, no, you don't have to do that. I'm not special. And we said, no, we'll buy you lunch. We'll buy you lunch. We'll buy you something to eat. And he kept on walking away. And Micah kept chasing after him and, and saying, no, we'll buy you some lunch. And, and Micah and this young man got to the corner. And the young man turned to go left. And Micah stopped at that point because the man said something to him again, saying, you know what? No, you don't need to do that for me. I'm not special. And Micah then turned around and he looked back at us. And I could just tell on his face that he was just grieved. He was sad, deeply saddened. So my wife got down on his level and, and just said, Micah, you, you look sad. What happened? And Micah said, the man spoke bad about himself. The man spoke bad about himself. You see, my, my son knew that this young man wasn't listening to the words of Jesus because Jesus knows that this man is special. This man is special. He's a child of God. He didn't know that yet, and my son was grieved because this man was speaking bad about who he was. And so we all just kind of knelt down there, and, and we said, we got to buy him some food. So we went across. There was a store right across Kitty Corner to where we were. We went in there, and we bought a sandwich and a, a bottle of water, and we, we bought an apple, and we got back into the, the truck, and we, at that point, we said, well, how are we going to find him? We knew he went walking up that street, how are we going to find him? And so we stopped and we prayed as a family. And kids prayed and they said, Jesus, help us find this young man so we can give him some food and let him know that he's special, that you love him. And so we, we got into the car and we turned, driving up the street that we saw this young man go and we didn't know if we were going to find him. There's tons of people around everywhere. And we got to the first intersection and we looked both ways and couldn't see. We were looking for a young man wearing jeans, no shirt on, with a black backpack. And we looked both ways and couldn't see him. And I thought, well, do I turn left or right or go straight? And I said, well, I'll just go straight. And we'll see what happens. God, answer our prayer. We're praying all the time that we'll find him. We drove a next city block. And I got to a stoplight. I was the first car at the intersection. Guess who walked right in front of our car? This young man walked right in front of our car. And at that point, the kids are saying, it's a miracle. You know, Jesus answered our prayer. This young man walked right in front of us and I jumped out of the truck and grabbed the grocery bag of food and, and I ran to him and I said, hey, we bought you some food. And he turned to me and he said, you didn't have to do that. You know what, you didn't have to do that. And I said, it wasn't my idea. It was my son's idea. And he wanted us to buy you some food and he wanted me to tell you that God loves you, that you are special. And... and and as I'm talking to this young man, I said, see, he's right there. He's in the truck. And Micah's leaning over the back seat of the truck, leaning out the front window, waving at him <laughs> with a big smile on his face. And this young man, he, he says, top left, and does something like this, which I don't know what that means. <laughs> but he did something like that to Micah. And I said, look, this is my son's idea. Here's some food for you, and we want you to know that you are special. You are good enough, and God loves you. And at that point, the light had turned, and there's people honking behind my truck. And so I ran quick and got into the truck, and, and we drove, and we were, we were marveled because we felt like we were living in God's story. We felt like God had led us and spoken to us, that Jesus had done that. And, and we had the opportunity to speak the truth of what Jesus words into this young man's life, that you are special, you are a child of God, you are loved, you are good enough. And we got to do the works of Jesus. 
That's what Jesus would have done. He would have bought this young man some food. He did the works of Jesus. See, friends, as we live in God's story, we listen to the words of Jesus, we live in the ways of Jesus, and we do the works of Jesus, and we get to feel the amazing privilege of God using us in small ways that may have a significant impact in the lives of others. Would you stand with me and let's pray together. I just want to invite you to pray with me and, and do what usually we've been doing lately after our services. Just, if you can do this, just hold out your hands in front of you. And in this way, you're just saying, Jesus, I want you to speak to me. And has Jesus brought anything to your mind about reading the Bible? Just, just listening to his words. Has Jesus brought in anything to your mind about your desire, his desire for you to, to be a part of a, a spiritual family, a, a community, a group? Has Jesus brought anything to your mind about the works of your life and the works of Jesus' life? And maybe they're not connecting right now and you need to stop doing some things and start doing other things. Jesus, we want you to speak to us right now. We ask you to speak to us at the beginning of our time together, and so we're listening for you right now. Speak by your Holy Spirit, Jesus, and what you want to say to us, because we're listening to you, and we'll spend a few moments in silence together. Jesus, thank you for speaking to individuals this morning. Continue to speak to us throughout the rest of this week. We want to become more like you. That's our heart's desire, to just make your name famous, to draw people to you, to direct people to you and who you are and what you've done. That's our heart's cry, Jesus. So lead us and we'll follow you. We will respond in obedience to what you tell us to do. And now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May his face shine upon you. May he lift up his countenance upon you. May he give you peace. May he give you peace. May he guide you by his Holy Spirit as you go about this week. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thanks for listening. We hope this message has impacted you. We'd like to challenge you to take it one step further and get connected. For any questions or prayer, please visit our website at cschurch.ca. You can also like us on Facebook or follow us on Twitter.